Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor at Cleveland.com. And Chris, today is in Minnesota, where the Cavs will play tonight against the Timberwolves. Cleveland comes into tonight's game, uh, 27-16 and 16 on the season. They are fourth in the Eastern Conference, four games behind the Boston Celtics uh, for the top seed. They're coming off a big win over the Portland Trailblazers. But Chris, some early news. It seems like maybe Donovan Mitchell... Uh, got a little sick in Portland, so he is questionable for tonight's game. Uh, what's the latest on uh, Donovan? Well, Donovan wasn't at shoot-around earlier this morning in Minnesota, um, and it was clear after the game against the Blazers that he just wasn't feeling right. He wasn't sounding like himself. seems like he's battling this head cold. It's not the same thing that Jared Allen had where he was feeling sick because he ate something in Salt Lake City um, or Isaac Okoro where he was feeling nauseous and sick and throwing up. Um, Donovan, it seemed like it was a head cold. And from what I'm told, there are a lot of people inside the organization right now that are battling something, like fighting through something. Um, it's been a long trip. It's been a lot of change in temperature. It's been a lot of flights. It's been um, a stretch where naturally guys are a little bit run down. Um, so that's the sense that I get is that Donovan and some of the other guys are run down at this point in time. And um, I don't know if he's going to play or not. I haven't heard for sure one way or another, but him not being at shoot around would lead me to believe that they didn't want him around the guys um, and they wanted him to hydrate and rest and recover and see potentially if he can feel better by the time tip off happens tonight against the Timberwolves. So what do you, I mean, it's kind of hard to say, but if you had to guess, I mean, would he play tonight or no? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know how a guy is going to recover. Yeah. Like, I woke up this morning not feeling great myself, to be perfectly honest with you, and then um, I got some food in me, and I got some water, and I hydrated a little bit, and I started getting active, and I started feeling better. But there are multiple people inside the organization that have, like, sniffles, head cold, feeling a little bit run down. Um Minnesota's playing the second night of a back-to-back. The Cavs have a quick turnaround at home against the Pelicans. So, like, my gut tells me that he doesn't play tonight, but it's hard to predict when somebody's dealing with an illness. He could wake up after an afternoon nap and feel great, ready to go. But, as I said the other night against Portland, he didn't sound like himself. He was clearly congested. He was drinking some immune system-boosting thing after the game. Um, he didn't even want to give me like a fist bump or a handshake like he usually does after him and I talk to each other. So uh, it's clear that he just wasn't himself the other night in Portland and he's still not himself if if he's going to miss shoot around like he did. Yeah, it's that time of year. I mean, and the travel yeah. and everything else, you know, it, it makes oh. sense. So, dude, you know, so like Hayden, my wife the other day went into CVS pharmacy for something. I don't remember exactly what it was. I think it was something for my son, Elliot. And she took a picture of the medicine aisle. <laughs> and there was like nothing on the shelves. Yeah. Nothing on the shelves. So it just seems like everybody in the world right now is dealing with something. It's that time of year. Yeah, oh, 100%. 100%. You know, you just 
you get through it, you want it to be healthy. You want to be healthy. And uh, so, yeah, if, if uh, Donovan can't go tonight, uh, we will see if he can get back within the next couple days and get back for Martin Luther King Day, which will be uh, the Cavaliers will be back at home. Um, but the other night, Portland, again, whether it was whether he was playing well or not, Donovan Mitchell um, helped Cavaliers to a big win. Ricky Rubio was back. I mean, how great was it to have Ricky Rubio back for the Cavaliers just to see him on the court again? And, and I'm sure they were just so excited that he was out there. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about Ricky, right? Like, a lot of people have been talking about what is what is Ricky Rubio going to give to this team this year because so many situations have changed from early in the season last year. And J.B. Bickerstaff even talked about it the other day, like trying to minimize expectations and not put too much on Ricky too soon because what he's coming back from is very, very difficult because he's got to shake off the rust because it was a 12-month recovery because he wasn't coming off a national team appearance with Spain, because he's got to get acclimated to his teammates and the system is slightly different on offense and the system is slightly different on defense. So all those different things play a part in him trying to get back to the Ricky Rubio that was so effective for the Cavs at the beginning of last season. I think it's unfair to expect him to be that kind of impact player. But here's the thing, Hayden. He doesn't have to be overly productive um, to make an impact. Like, that's the type of player that he can be for this team. And I think you saw flashes of that the other night against the Blazers. Just organize the offense, right? Just make things easier on your teammates. Just settle everything down when a team is going on a run. And that's what he did, especially in the second half during that run that he had where he knocked down a couple of big-time three-pointers. Like, he wasn't great in terms of production the other night, but he had an impact both ends yeah. of the floor with the Cavs um, playing him in his minimal minutes, 10 minutes. Uh, the Cavs outscored the Blazers by six points. Like that's impact. That's making a difference. And I think he can continue to do those kinds of things, even in limited minutes. And I think one of the most important things that he's going to bring to the table is just making things easier on guys. You know, sometimes things have yeah. been hard on Kevin Love at the beginning of this season, and he has not had a great year. Statistically, Kevin is in the midst of his worst season ever. And Jetty Osman has been erratic. And um, if you think about the way that both of those guys um, in particular played next to Ricky last year and then without Ricky, there was a stark difference. So if you can have somebody running the second unit, settling things down, organizing the team, getting them touches, getting them into the right sets, Ricky is the kind of guy who can make it easier on Jetty. He can make it easier on Karis LeVert. He can make it easier on Kevin Love. And I think that is going to continue to be there, even though like his production is probably going to fluctuate because that's just natural coming off such a significant injury. Right. You talked with Ricky um, after the game and, and about the whole process. And um, he was pretty, you know, he said he said it was a pretty uh, tough time for him to yeah. get through, you know, to get through the injury when he was playing some of his best basketball ever. But here he is. He's back. And, you know, what tell us about that conversation and about, you know, just how he's feeling and how he was able to get through all that. So to lay it all out there, we're in the locker room after the game and um 
because of the setup in Portland, the post-game setup, um, all of the the player interviews were done in the locker room as opposed to like at a podium or something along those lines. Like J.B. Bickerstaff talked at a podium after the game in a little room, and, and that's natural. That's what happens with the coach. Um, but when you have so few traveling reporters on the Cavs beat, like like is the situation, um, yeah. we move into the locker room and we talk to the guys in the locker room. Well, the Portland visitors locker room is very, very congested. And even though Ricky had just made his debut um, after 300 day, 380 days away, like to me personally, and and this was just the approach that I chose to take. Um, it wasn't the environment, like a post-game interview on camera for like five to six minutes to me in a locker room that's really, really tight and congested. To me, that's not the place to like go deep, deep, deep into his recovery, into the emotions of it, right? Because so much about it was um, how he felt in his first game back, um, the minute restriction that he was under, how he feels like he can impact the team, like the natural things that you would talk to a guy after a game. Right. So when he was done talking on camera, Ricky and I have grown very, very close over the last couple of years. And I pulled him aside and I said, hey, look, like I didn't think these kinds of questions were right at, at that point. Like, can we have a conversation about um, everything related to your recovery, the difficulties, um, the the benchmarks that you hit along the way, just like the backstory. And then I also wanted to talk to him about the T-shirts that all of his teammates wore, because that was a really, really cool thing that they did. Yeah. Um, so him and I sat down in the locker room privately um, for about eight minutes or so just talking about the recovery process, um, talking about going through this for a second time in his career, um, about his expectations coming back, all that different kind of stuff. Um, and he was very, very open and honest, and he got deep, and he talked about some of the dark times that that he went through during the ACL recovery, and a lot of guys, when they're rehabbing an injury, go through dark times, and he talked about like taking it out on his family at specific points. Um, but one of the things that resonated with me was that he said his goal all along after um, initially being heartbroken by the fact that he couldn't finish off what was a career year, being heartbroken by the fact that he had to watch the Cavs completely collapse in the second half of the season. But once like he woke up and started to realize, hey, like, I can't feel sorry for myself here. I've got to get to work. I've got to go through the rehab. I've got to attack this the way that I attacked my first one. He has a goal to be better than even he was at the beginning of last season for the Cavs. Like, that's the thing that was fueling him throughout his entire rehab process was, I'm not just trying to have a comeback season. I'm trying to have a great season. I'm trying to have the season that I was having at the beginning of last year that was stolen from me by the injury gods. And um, that's the way from everybody that I talked to in the organization, that's the way that he attacked his rehab. 
and it seemed to work. Um, he's back. He's feeling, you know, he's ready to make an impact. And we'll see if he can, you know, replicate or even be better than he was when he left. But, I mean, I think, like you said, the, the shirt that they wore, uh, welcome back, Ricky, and, and everything, it's just, I think it's a huge boost for everyone. It's a huge boost for Donovan, for Kevin, for the guys that have played with him, yeah. and then for the guys, you know, from last year. I mean, I think it's just a huge, um, huge thing to have a guy back that means so much to the team. So I think, you know, we focus so much, how is he going to fit into the offense? How is he going to fit into this? How is he going to do that? Right. Sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, uh, camaraderie of, man, all right, we got Ricky back. We're feeling like that's a great thing, and, and it mm-hmm. can kind of affect the whole team. So they're 1-0 with him, which is obviously, you know, that's – it's one game it is what it is but we'll see how that we'll see if that trend continues we'll see if you know going forward if they can you know win some games here with ricky rubio they're obviously in minnesota tonight where ricky got his start um as well as kevin love so there's obviously some emotion with that um and uh that'll be another kind of emotional atmosphere that they've that they're going to experience given that um they already had one in utah and i want i want you to take us through that too because you were there obviously um cavaliers lost the game donovan mitchell played very well and um, but I want to see from your perspective how, what it was like mm-hmm. being in Utah um, when Donovan Mitchell came back. It's interesting, right, because you just never know what to expect from fans. And Donovan said the same thing in the lead up to the game. And for me, I was wondering, but I was talking to a lot of different people leading up to that. And I said, hey, look, this guy was massive for the franchise for five years, and he was beloved by fans for five years. Yep. So, like, he didn't request a trade out. He didn't leave in free agency. Like, those factors that usually add to a star returning to their place that, that make it a hostile environment. Like, those weren't in play with Donovan. Yes, he made some comments that could have been termed as inflammatory about Salt Lake City, about how the state operates about some of the inequality that he faced. And I know that that rubbed people in the city the wrong way. Um, and I can understand why it did, but but he also spoke out on those same kinds of issues throughout his time as a member of the Utah Jazz. And he was attacked for it. And all I kept going back to was, okay, do those minor comments that he made in a sit-down interview with... Um, Mark Spears from Anscape. Do those like overshadow five years where he was the face of the franchise, where he was the effervescent, beloved shooting guard, the three-time All-Star, leading the Jazz to the playoffs five straight years. He is one of the most accomplished players in franchise history. He's one of the most important players in franchise history. And he didn't go on national TV and stab a knife into their chest the way that LeBron James did, right? Like, he didn't leave Oklahoma City the way that Kevin Durant did. Um, He didn't request a trade the way that Kyrie Irving did, ending a dynasty. So, because of all those factors, I think it made sense that he got the warm reception that he did in Salt Lake City. And it was deafening. It was unbelievable because, like, I was all planning to write word for word what the PA announcer said in the intro for Donovan Mitchell. And all I heard was, at shooting guard. Yeah. (laughs) Because that was drowned out by just fans rising to their feet. 
and and embracing their once beloved star. So it was really, really cool. And I also thought it was smart that the Jazz did the video tribute before the pregame intro. Like some of these places have done a video tribute in the first time out of the first quarter. They did it before the pregame introductions. So like all of that emotion from um, that video tribute carried over to the pregame introductions and it was all like lumped together as one and the crowd was already stirred and it's not like the Jazz were losing by nine points at the time or whatever the case may be. So I thought it was appropriate for all of the things that he accomplished. And the way that he said it after the game was, we all know these kinds of returns can go one of two ways. I'm just happy that it went the right way. And I think it was the right way for somebody who accomplished as much as he did during his career in Utah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and I know that you can say, well, it could go one of two ways, but I think it speaks to who he is as a a person, as a player, as a teammate, um, that you know, that he got the reception that he got. I think it speaks to to what you're seeing now in Cleveland. You know, he's really a guy that's embraced by the team, by the community, and it just seems to be very genuine in who he is. So um, I personally didn't expect the the uh, ovation to be any different, but maybe Donovan did. Yeah, I just don't think he knew exactly what to expect. Yeah. You know, because he is somebody who – um, grew up a Cavs fan, and he saw the kind of reaction that LeBron received when he came back in Miami. Um, he is somebody who saw the kind of reaction that Kevin Durant um, got when he went back to Oklahoma City when when fans showed up with snakes on their shoulders, live snakes on their shoulders, and started <laughs> calling him Cupcake and and made these T-shirts and and things along those lines. Um, and, and I think Donovan understands and him and I talked about this in the lead up to the game, um, actually the day before the Cavs got to Salt Lake, um, just about like, I asked him point blank. I said, Hey, were you even considering the kind of backlash that you were going to get from, from Utah jazz fans when you made the comments uh, about some of the injustice that you saw? Um, when you made the comments about the state uh, needing to be better in terms of of how it goes about its business. Um, and, and he said, look, no, like part of part of what I have always done is tried to use my platform and use my voice for the voiceless. So he had no regrets about the things that that he said, and he had no fear about the things that he said. But the sense that I got is that he wondered how those comments or or how how people were still holding on to those comments and if they were still holding on to those comments by the time he he returned to Salt Lake City because Hayden it was like less than a month his return to Salt Lake City was like less than a month after sitting down with Anscape and and making those kinds of comments that obviously did rub jazz fans the wrong way that obviously did lead to some people going on Twitter and attacking Donovan Mitchell and, and, and pushing back on some of his comments and defending the state of Utah and the city of Salt Lake. Um, so I think because of that layer that existed, um, I think that's where he was wondering. Just yeah. maybe possibly will people still hold this against me and not give me the kind of reception that I probably do deserve. Like it wasn't about anything else related to his exit. It wasn't about anything else 
um, that he failed to accomplish with the Jazz. It was just those comments specifically that made him wonder about it a little bit. Right. Yeah. No, it, it certainly makes sense. Um, and, you know, going to the game itself, I mean, it was, you know, the Cavaliers, I want to talk about this game because, you know, Donovan scores 46. He was everything yeah. he you expected him to be. Cavaliers yeah. lose by two. They kind of blow it down the stretch. Karis LeVert went a really rough night. I mean, Karis LeVert in general has, has kind of been the lightning rod for this Cavs team in terms of, you know, people, you know, spewing vitriol or, or you know, being upset with the play. Um, you know, what, what Karis LeVert, I mean, we've talked a lot about trades. We talked about, I mean, what is it going to take for Karis LeVert to kind of find his place with this Cavs team or, or find some sort of consistency? Or is he just not going to be consistent? And is it going to be something to where Cavaliers are really going to look to trade him come the midpoint uh, the, or the uh, trade deadline? Honestly, Hayden, I think um, I think it would be smart to, like, change expectations a little bit. And, and I know that that can be hard, right? Um, on one hand, the Cavs traded for Karis LeVert um, when they were in a specific situation where they were missing Don, uh, where they didn't yet have Donovan Mitchell, where they were missing Colin Sexton, where they um, were dealing with an injured Ricky Rubio who was then traded for Karis LeVert. Like, a big reason why the Cavs made the trade that they made for Karis is because they were trying to replace something while chasing a playoff spot, right? While trying to finish off this turnaround season that they had. And in their mind, Karras was the best player available at the trade deadline that could give them a little bit of the scoring of Colin Sexton and a little bit of the playmaking of Ricky Rubio. He could fill in the gaps. Um, that That is not the role that, that Karras is getting this year. Because right. Donovan Mitchell, because of Darius Garland, because of how involved Jared Allen is in everything that the Cavs do on the offensive end, because Ricky Rubio is now back and he's going to be running the second unit. So Karras has had to take a little bit of step back. And I've talked to him about this multiple times. The way that he was used at the beginning of the season as the starting small forward, he had never been used like that in his entire career, not in high school not in college, not even in the NBA. The closest to it was early in his NBA career with the Brooklyn Nets, where they were like, hey, Karras, like, we're not going to have you as involved offensively, focus more on the defensive end of the floor, and then be a secondary creator or be a tertiary scorer. Um, so like the guy that they acquired from Indiana like, that was a completely different guy. He was being used in a different role. He had different opportunities. He had different freedoms. So I just think this role that the Cavs are asking of him is hard on him. He is a volume scorer. He is a guy who is at his best statistically in isolation situations. And the Cavs are all pick and roll heavy, and they're asking him to be more of a floor spacer. Um, beyond everything, like he is shooting one of his career best marks from three point range, which is helpful. Um, but I just think it's a difficult situation that Karras is in. And that's why I have been saying from the very beginning, Hayden, and people uh, don't really like this, but I've been saying from the very beginning that if the Cavs can find a better fitting player, not a more talented, not a better in general 
but a better fitting player for what they need to be, you know, a championship contending team. Um, if they can find that at the trade deadline, which is very, very difficult for a variety of reasons. But if they can, it's something they have to explore. And I know that the Cavs like Karras, and there is value to the things that he brings to the table. And I know J.P. Bickerstaff is a fan of his as well. But it's about fit sometimes. And I just think the fit of Karras on this team is very, very wonky. And it's it's really, in many, many ways, out of his control. Right. So, I mean, that would you say that the you know that that Karis Levert is probably their best trade asset? You know, come the deadline. I mean, they have you know they gave up a lot of picks for Donovan. Um, yeah. And if they want to get better on the wing, they're going to have to find somebody or something to give. So, um, would you say that there's a more than I don't know a higher possibility that Karis gets traded than anybody else on the team? Well, I think it all depends on what they they want to try and accomplish at the trade deadline. So let's start there. Um, if they look at their if they look at their roster and they say there is something that we're missing, like if they look at it the same way that many people around the NBA and many fans around the NBA do, and say we have got to upgrade the small forward spot. If yeah. we do not upgrade the small forward spot. We cannot compete with Boston and Brooklyn and Milwaukee. If that's how they honestly view this roster, then Karis LeVert um, is the fulcrum to them doing that. Yeah. Because, one, he's on an expiring contract, and that salary matches a lot of the perceived available players. And, two, he can be a helpful player to some of these guys. We have seen him be a helpful player. Um, and three, like, what else could the Cavs package together in order to entice a team to move off of what they have, given the fact that the Cavs cannot offer a first round pick? They cannot. So it's like you have to trade something of value in order to get something of value back in return. And just in terms of pure value, the two guys that are considered quote unquote expendable from the Cavs that would bring back the most value are Karis and Isaac Okoro. But Isaac is 21. He's still on a team friendly contract. The Cavs value him. He is a very, very hard worker and they believe that he's going to get better. So for the Cavs to move on from Isaac Okoro because they still believe in him and he's also turning the corner, by the way, recently. Yep. Yep. Um, they would need a significant piece back in return. Like they would need somebody that would be one of the five or six most important players to them competing for a championship. And I just don't know who is available in the market right now that fits that kind of profile, right? It's Boyan Bogdanovich, that kind of player that the Cavs would part with Isaac Okoro plus something else is... Uh, I'm trying to go through the list of guys that are currently available. Uh, is Sadiq Bey that kind of player? Is, um, keep going through, like Malik Beasley from the Utah Jazz, that kind of player is, 
as we keep going through this list. Like somebody like Tobias Harris, if you want to get really, really crazy with it, um, then you'd have to stack up way more salaries because he's got a bloated number. Right. But like who out there is Kyle Kuzma, that kind of difference making player for the Cavs that would be worth them giving up Isaac Okoro? I don't know. Like they're the only one that I can come up with. And and the Cavs wouldn't be able to to have the best package for this particular player. But if we're just citing examples of 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 who fits the profile um, of that impact difference making trade centerpiece at the deadline for the Cavs to even consider somebody like Isaac, OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors would fit that profile. But again, the Raptors are asking for something similar to what the Cavs gave up for Donovan Mitchell and the Cavs can't go that direction, but that's the type of piece that it would take, I think, for the Cavs to consider somebody like Isaac. So then you have to start looking at the lesser players that are available on the trade market. And then you realize that many of them have the same salary as Karras. Many of them may be able to be had for somebody like Karras. And then you start working potential deals like that. Because other than that, you're starting to talk about Dylan Windler and Jetty Osman and multiple future second round picks and Lamar Stevens. And if you package all of that together, you have to say, what is that really going to get us? So if the Cavs are just looking to fill a roster spot at the trade deadline, Hayden, okay, then they can do a smaller scale deal like that. But if they're looking for somebody to help that wing spot, something that is a glaring hole that may be the biggest hole that any legitimate contender has on the roster, then I think Karras has to be a part of that. Do you think that the Cavaliers are thinking uh, the same way that, you know, that you are and I, I am in terms of, yeah, it's a glaring hole. We got to fix it. We got to, you know, add somebody so we can contend. I think they're looking at that, but I think they also understand the reality of this trade market. Yeah. So look at this. Here's the Eastern Conference standings. Right now, even though people are eyeing Toronto, are they going to be a seller? Are they going to trade OG? Are they going to trade Van Vili? Are they going to trade Siakam? They're in the 10 spot in the Eastern Conference. They're currently in the play-in tournament. Chicago is another team that a lot of um, rivals are looking at. They're a half game out of the 10 spot. So there are a couple of things here. One, there is no dominant force in the NBA. None. Um, Denver's the number one seed out West, and Boston's the number one seed in the East. But nobody is looking at those teams the way that the Cavs were viewed when they were going to the finals four straight years in the Eastern Conference. Like, a huge juggernaut of, how do we get past those guys? Nobody is looking at the Nuggets and the Celtics as the Golden State Warriors during their dynasty, where teams are saying, how are we supposed to contend with that? People feel like the NBA is relatively wide open. One week, it could be the Denver Nuggets that are viewed as the best team in the Western Conference. And another week, it could be Memphis. And then another week, maybe it's the Los Angeles Clippers because they finally figure it out and they're really, really talented. And you can say the same thing about the Eastern Conference. So part of the wide open nature of this year has a lot of teams believing. Like, oh yeah, 
we're the Philadelphia 76ers. We're currently the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. But why can't we take down Boston in a second-round playoff series? Um, so that's part of the whole conversation around the trade deadline. The other is that the play-in tournament has brought more teams into the equation, and it has led to fewer sellers. Hey, we're Washington. We're only a game and a half out of the play-in tournament. Why would we sell Kyle Kuzma? Why would we sell Bradley Beal? Let's get into the play-in tournament, see what happens. So you just don't have that many sellers. The only clear-cut sellers right now at this point, Hayden, Charlotte, Detroit, Orlando, uh, Houston, and San Antonio. Yeah. And of those teams, like the only needle mover that could be traded is Bogdanovich of the Pistons. Yeah. Because Kelly Oubre Jr. is dealing with a fractured hand right now, and he's going to be out for um, maybe close to the All-Star break, even after that. Yeah. So teams might be hesitant there. Eric Gordon is available for the Houston Rockets, but how much is he really going to make a difference? Doug McDermott is fine. The Cavs have interest. He can shoot from the outside, but he's almost unplayable in a seven-game series because he's a defensive liability. Josh Richardson is fine. You know what I mean? So, like, of all of the sellers currently, those are the players that you're looking at. How much better are any of them? Besides Bogdanovich from the Pistons, who has a huge price tag that the Cavs almost can't meet because they want an unprotected first-round pick and the Cavs can't go that direction. So yeah. take him out of the equation. How many of the guys on those clear-cut sellers are better than Dean Wade? Right? How many of those guys are better than Isaac Okoro and Lamar Stevens? And you can say they are better. Yes, they are. But how much better are they that you would be willing to part with something when you're already limited in the assets that you can give up? That's the question that I think the Cavs are asking. They know that the small forward is a problem. <laughs> they see it every single night, right? They've seen it for the last couple of years. They've tried to address it. But that doesn't mean that the trade market always gives you the things that you feel like you need. Right. Yeah, I mean, the trade market is always it's always interesting. It's always very interesting. Um, a name that you've thrown out a lot, I mean, Tim Hardaway Jr., is still very much in play, or has yeah. anything changed on that front? No, nothing has changed on that front. The Cavs are interested in Tim Hardaway Jr. He is available for the Dallas Mavericks, but it's a little bit complicated, obviously. It would cost, because of the financial situations, it and because of the situation that the Mavericks are in where they're chasing a playoff spot, they're the fifth-best team in the Western Conference, they would want somebody to help now. It's not like they're looking for a bunch of young pieces and draft capital. Um, and it's not like the Cavs have a bunch of that to offer. So the general framework is Tim Hardaway Jr., Karis LeVert, and then what other pieces would Dallas have to give the Cavs to satisfy the Cavs taking on the extra two years and 34-plus million that Tim Hardaway Jr. is owed. So it's not just getting a guy who is a better fitting player, right? It's giving up Karis LeVert, a guy that the Cavs like, a guy that the Cavs play 30 minutes a night 
a guy that can be in the Cavs' closing lineup at times, a guy that J.B. Bickerstaff has praised for his defense and his selflessness and his high basketball IQ and all those other intangible things. Um, So not only do you have to give that up, but you're also giving up a guy in Karras who is on an expiring contract who, if he leaves following this season, gives the Cavs some financial flexibility into the future. You tie some of that financial flexibility up by taking on somebody like Tim Hardaway Jr. So on the surface, you can say better fitting player, floor spacer, volume three-point shooter, the looks that he's going to get created by Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, or the space that he's going to provide to those two guys really could take the Cavs offense to a different level. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, it always is. It always in saying is. that, yes, I'm told that the Cavs have interest in Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, I'm told that the Cavs do believe that of the avail- the quote-unquote available players at the deadline, that he belongs at the top of their list for targets. Well, there you go. I mean, it's like I said, the trade market's always difficult. It's always fun to, to that's why it's so intriguing. It's so interesting. You know, see what happens, see what doesn't happen. Uh, but you're right. The Tim Hardaway thing, there would have to be some pieces um, involved in that play in that. But in the meantime, like I said, Cavaliers uh, still working to improve the team that they got and to get better um, as they go forward. Chris, I mean, do they have to win tonight to make this a successful road trip? I mean, they're two and two. They lost a close one to the to the Jazz, obviously not as close in Denver. Um, it, you know, we said that this was a. Not a crazy important road trip, but, a you know, a significant one. Um, what would you say about this road trip going into tonight's game? Well, there's a lot of people inside the organization that would say, look at how we're winning games. Look at how we're progressing and stuff like that. And I understand that line of thinking, and that makes a lot of sense. And I've always said that wins and losses in the NBA are very, very circumstantial. So you don't want to get too caught up in regular season wins and losses because there are so many factors that go into them. But, I mean, this team needs to show that they can consistently win away from Cleveland. And they've gotten some layups on this road trip. So, yeah, I do think that it would behoove them to win this game in Minnesota and go three and two. If you would have told me going into the road trip um, that the Cavs came back from the road trip two and three, I probably would have said, yeah, it's pretty disappointing because Portland stinks. Right, because Phoenix was playing without Devin Booker and then playing without Chris Paul. So those two were layups. You know, the Denver game was always going to be really, really difficult, especially with those circumstances. Going back to Salt Lake City was going to be emotional and difficult for the Cavs. But that's a game that they should have won. They're better than the Jazz. They gave it away. You know what I mean? So they have played well at different points of this road trip. But for me to look at the situation coming in, for them to leave it two and three would be a disappointment for one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Minnesota's playing tonight on the second game of back-to-back. And even though the Timberwolves are playing much, much better recently, the Cavs should be able to beat Minnesota with these circumstances. If Donovan doesn't play, it's a different kind of conversation. It makes it more difficult for the Cavs. But but I think they're at a point right now where it is fair to judge them a little bit more harshly um, 
on their win-loss record on these kinds of road trips, especially when they've gotten some layups here along the way. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, if Donovan doesn't play, that's a little different. You're right. Um, one more thing I want to touch on before we go, Chris. Um, Anderson Verja, back yeah. with the organization after his after this surprise stint of all surprise stints uh, with the Cavaliers. <laughs> what was it, a couple of years ago? That wasn't last yes. year, was it? Yes, a couple of years ago. I mean, that was still um, one of the most surprising things. But he's back. He's a player development development consultant and global ambassador for the Cavaliers. Um, how did that come about? Obviously, Andy, a great you know uh, piece of the organization um, and a beloved member of this organization uh, for a long time. Yeah, I mean, he's been connected to the organization in a non full time official capacity. Um, I mean, Hayden, he's he's been at practices, he's been at games. And he's been rebounding for guys following shooting drills and stuff like that. So he was still around, you know what I mean? And it's just, what is the right role for him? And is he done with basketball? Because there was part of Anderson Verigel that was wondering, hey, am I going to make another appearance with the Brazilian national team? Hey, Maybe possibly is there an opportunity for me to go somewhere in Latin America and play? And I just don't think he was fully ready to say, I'm done. I'm retired definitely from all basketball at every single level. Once he got to that point, then the Cavs were ready to jump on this opportunity and give him a full time role as player development consultant and global ambassador. And the Cavs want to continue to make inroads in Brazil specifically. They're trying to do some big things in Brazil. Um, and they've already started that because they understand that there are a generation of fans that they could grab. And Andy, you know, one of the most popular players, not only in Cleveland history, but in the history of his home country, can help them do that. And so he's going to be involved in that process. And he's also, I think, a helpful tool for them trying to develop some of these young bigs. Um, you know, obviously they have a bunch of coaches that are player development coaches and assistant coaches that that work with a lot of these young bigs that the Cavs have. But Anderson Verajao is is somebody who's going to help with that as well. Um, and I think just having him good people, good people and people that you can trust inside an organization is a beneficial thing. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. And, I, you know, like I said, it's good, always good to have good people in the organization, as you mentioned. So um, definitely good to see Andy back there. Uh, all right. You said it's bitterly cold in Minnesota, as to be oh, expected in, Minis in Minnesota. How cold are we talking right now? So here's the thing. I wake up this morning. Well, before I even woke up this morning, I, I, I walk out of the terminal at the Minneapolis airport, right? And I say out loud, oh, my God, it's freezing. And then we have this joker behind me who's like wearing a hoodie and sweatpants off the plane. A true, do they call them Minnesotaans? I don't I know. I think what they it's call Minnesotans. Them. Yeah, Minnesota, yeah. Minnesotans. Yeah. Yeah. So we had one of those guys step outside. And in response to me, he says, oh, it's not bad. Get out of here. It was 14 <laughs> degrees on my weather app, and it felt like probably seven degrees. So I wake up this morning, and I look at my weather app, 
and it says 21 degrees. And I say, oh, nice. That's great. It's a little bit warmer than what it was yesterday when it was freezing when I was walking to dinner. And then I scroll down to the area where it says feels like, right, with the wind chill and everything else taken into account. It says feels like 10 degrees. And I'm like, how do people live here consistently when it's like that? So the high today is actually 28 degrees, but it's supposed to feel like in the teens. So that's how cold it is. And then when you're outside and the wind is hitting you in the face, it's just not enjoyable. So it is, to me, it is bitter cold to the point where um, my lunch spot is about a half mile away. And I am a walker, Hayden. Every yeah. arena that I go to, I walk, if if it's possible, right? In Chicago, it's not possible. Los Angeles, it's not possible. But if I'm staying downtown and it's possible, within a mile, I will walk. My lunch spot is a half mile away, and I am getting an Uber. I have no interest in being outside today, none whatsoever. Not at the end of a five-city, 10-day trip where I've changed time zones. I've got no sleep whatsoever because Donovan made his return to Salt Lake City. Ricky debuted. It's been a lot, this road trip. So I am taking an Uber to my lunch spot because I have no desire to be outside. That's how bitter cold it is. It's like 27 in Cleveland, so it's not much better here. What, I mean, what does it feel cool. like? When the wet, uh, when you pull up, pull up the weather app, and see what it says it feels like. Feels like, um, where does it say feels like? Uh, it just says. Do you have an I, iPhone? Yeah. So hit weather. I hit the weather. And then scroll down, and it will say sunrise, sunset, chance of snow, humidity, wind. Ah, there. Okay. Feels yeah, like okay. nineteen. So it feels like nineteen degrees. So there you go. Yeah, well, it's it's cold. There's no doubt. It's cold. But Minnesota... Are you, are you planning to go outside? Um, Maybe for a little bit. Yeah. Throw the football around a little bit. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I enjoy I enjoy the cold. I'm a, I'm a cold weather guy. I enjoy the cold. So, um, okay. yeah. But I will say that when I was in Minnesota, the one time that I've been there yeah. was when I was in college. And it was... I was covering, I was at Ohio State covering the Ohio State-Minnesota game. Uh-huh. And I don't know, I mean, there are, you know, there aren't that many Ohio State-Minnesota games, but it was at the, you know, TC, the the outdoor stadium in Minnesota, and the field was uh-huh. heated. And, you know, at, it was still, and I had to stand, I had to film the game from the end zone. So I can still feel the the, the cold in my bones from that day because the field was <laughs> they said the field was heated it was it was not heated what I, whatever heat was there was not good enough because it was still the coldest thing i've ever experienced it took it took me two days to un, unthaw myself from that and it was just miserable and i really had high expectations in minnesota i wanted to see it i wanted to experience it and it just got ruined for me in in one day so i hope yeah. to get back to minnesota you know, maybe during the summer so I can experience it. But I think Minnesota would be a fun place to visit. I've heard good things about it other than obviously the cold. And here's the thing, too. Think about the previous stops that we've made. Portland was raining the entire time, but it yeah. was still in the upper 40s, low 50s. Yeah, you can't Salt Lake City. Like Salt Lake City was in the 40s when we were there. Phoenix was in the upper 60s, low 70s. And 
Denver was cold, obviously, but Denver was at this point almost two weeks ago. So yeah. we're coming from places that were 40s, 50s, and 60s, and we're hit by single-digit temperatures. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Come on, man. Like, that's just rude. Yeah, it's not the best road trip for you. That's for sure. <laughs> Although the next one you have is New York, Houston, and Oklahoma City. So hopefully you'll yeah. get some heat, some 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 warmer weather uh, in those spots. Send me, and then send send me to what? Minnesota in March. There I would go. love to feel Minnesota in March. Don't yeah, send me exactly. to Minnesota in January at the end of a road trip when I just want to go home. Yep. Well, that's where you're at. So make yeah. the most of it. Get home safe. Yeah. And uh, it won't be too it'll, – it'll be a little cold, little warmer here, not much. It, it looks like uh, – you're also missing the Vikings will be in the uh, in the postseason tomorrow, so. I know. I'm actually glad that I'm leaving Sunday as opposed to Monday because I think the airport the day after the Vikings game would be more bananas than it usually is. Yeah, exactly. Min- that that airport in Minnesota is uh, is crazy. Oh, All right, buddy. Well, go get your go get your Uber. Um, yeah, go get your lunch. Take a nap. Get ready for throw some on, game. It'll be eight throw o'clock. On two pairs of pants. Yep. Throw on two pairs of pants. Pants for the game tonight. I mean, that's that's standard operating procedure in Minnesota. Um, I just think they, you know, they wake up with two pairs of pants on in the morning. So <laughs> that's that's what they do up there. Yeah. All right. So enjoy that game. Will be at eight o'clock Eastern tonight. Um, and we will be watching whether Donovan Mitchell plays or not. We will see. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, follow Chris's coverage. Um, follow him on cleveland.com slash Cavs to get all of your Cavs news. Also, um, sign up for Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month. All you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page, and you'll be directed to Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial, all kinds of news, analysis, info, insights, and straight to your phone before Twitter, before anywhere else. So, again, cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page and help pay for Chris's electric bill, which will certainly be high um, when he's home because it'll be uh, it'll be nice and warm in his in his place after thawing up from Minnesota. My hotel room. I have had the thermostat in my hotel room here at the the fabulous Marriott Minneapolis City Center, which has a connection to the Skywalk, by the way. Um, there you go. I have had the thermostat at seventy eight. Since I stepped foot into this room yesterday evening, I have yeah. not touched it. I've cranked it to 78, and it is so toasty and warm in here. It is fantastic. Yeah, so please, again, cleveland.com slash Cavs, $3.99 <laughs> month. So Chris can pay for his uh, electric and heating bills because it's it's crazy. It's crazy right now. 78 degrees in his hotel room. That's, that's, that's not cheap. So be sure to uh, be sure to get to help us out here. All right, buddy. In all seriousness, have a good game tonight. Uh, Safe travels tomorrow, and uh, we will see you on Monday for the Cavs taking on the New Orleans Pelicans at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse on Martin Luther King Day. So appreciate you joining us, everyone. Thank you, and we will talk to you soon.